Hey guys, welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan and this is the January 4th edition. Hope everyone's doing amazing out there from wherever you're joining us. Hope you also had a great New Year's, have a few New Year's resolutions that you're aiming for. I know some people say that, you know, those don't last and there's no point in doing them, but I think anything's better than nothing, you know? And so I think we all should aim to not be stagnant, aim at least a little high, right? So we have a lot to cover in tonight's episode, and I can't wait to get into it. But first, just a little bit about me, if you're new to the show. I spent four years in the Marine Corps, all of that time in the infantry. After my enlistment, I exited military service, earned a journalism degree, and spent more than 10 years in the news business. Besides all of that, I've written 12 books. They include military thrillers, detective mysteries or whodunits, war literature, a western, and even a motivational self-help book. I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies to date, so thank you if you're one of those who have purchased one of my books. If you haven't ever looked at them, to see, if you are interested in looking at them to see what they're about, you can find all 12 of them on Amazon by searching for just my name, Stan R. Mitchell, and you'll easily find them. So here's what I do every episode. I do three things primarily. I cover hot spots around the world, I try to help unite the nation, and I share some motivation and wisdom at the end of each show, as well as a bit about PTSD. Now you might say, why, Stan? Why do you try to do these things? No one cares about defense news or about foreign policy, and I will concede that this is mostly true, but I also know that not caring could lead, and is already leading, to the weakening of our country couple of examples. We have major military recruiting problems, and as we struggle to recruit talented personnel for our military, the cost to do so rise, and unfortunately, the strength of our military weakens. We also have a Senate that allows a single senator, a single senator, Tommy Tuberville, to hold up the promotions of 300 high-ranking officers for months and months. So we have to start focusing on forcing on foreign policy, on what our military is doing as a country. I believe we have to remain engaged as a country and deter the expansionist plans of Russia and China and even Iran. To not do so would lead to untold death and destruction by these countries as they bully, intimidate, and invade their neighbors. And at some point, we'd have to get involved, the same as we eventually have to get involved in previous wars. During World War II, when subs started sinking ships, also in World War II, and I apologize, in World War I, subs sinking ships, also in World War II, obviously, eventually, we were attacked by Japan as they continued to expand, but we were already getting drawn into that world. The reality is, is the world is simply too small for us to totally isolate. War eventually follows us home. So in my opinion, it's better to stay engaged and maintain and strengthen strong alliances and all of the incentives that go along with encouraging countries around the world to follow the rule of law. Now, besides covering our military and hotspots around the world, also try each episode to unite our country. We all know a house divided cannot stand, and our wide and often angry and dangerous division is our country's greatest threat. So I try my best to not put down any Republicans or Democrats. I try not to name call. I also try to be as calm and optimistic as possible 
because we all get too much negative news with folks saying the world is ending. But when it's all said and done, we must love our neighbor. It's not only biblical, it's common sense. And the only way to hold everything together in this country while also winning more people over to your side is to love your neighbor and to show respect to each other. And finally, at the end of each episode, I share a few words of encouragement because almost everything you have seen or read this week has been negative, and I'm betting you could use some positivity and encouragement in your life. So thank you for being patient and allowing me to share this introduction. I think it's important for people to hear what I'm about, and I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in, that it reinforces what they believe, that it affects how they act, so that they encourage their friends and neighbors to be active citizens. And so that maybe, just maybe, we can start to pull this country together as the show grows. Without question, we face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years. And it's only by coming together and remaining optimistic about our future that we can pass on a better world for our kids. So let's get a little better informed, and let's work to get a little more united as a people, and more motivated as individual listeners. So much rest on what each of us do each and every day. All right, with all that out of the way, let's just get started. Okay, so we're going to begin the first news section tonight talking a bit about U.S. troops that are operating in the Red Sea, as we've been covering, I feel like, at least three or four weeks now. But there was another incident since the last episode came out, and I thought I'd just share just a little bit about that from... Uh, just one of many articles that I saw. This one's from the Washington Post. I obviously cover the Washington or read articles from the Washington Post almost every week. And I, as always, as I say, I highly recommend them. It's a great n- news source and they're very inexpensive. But let me just share just briefly here what happened since the last episode. As I jokingly said on social media, the uh, the Houthis, who are a militant group, that operate out of Yemen, found out the hard way that Americans fight far more skillfully than the Saudis or the government of Yemen, which the Houthis have been fighting for years and years now. So uh, the headline of the article was, U.S. Navy Helicopters Exchange Fire with Houthis in Red Sea. And let me just read just a little bit about this. Um, So U.S. Navy Helicopters Exchanged Fire with Houthi Militants aboard four small boats in the southern Red Sea on Sunday morning, sinking three of them and killing their crew. The militants had been trying to board a container vessel when the attack happened. This is all according to CENTCOM, as reported in the Washington Post, but you can find this in tons of news articles out there. Now, according to the Washington Post, the incident represents a sharp escalation of hostilities between the United States and the Yemen-based Iranian-backed militant group since its maritime attacks began in the wake of the war in Gaza. According to CENTCOM, Houthi militants on small boats approached within 20 meters of the Singapore-flagged, Denmark-owned Mayersk container ship on Sunday morning, attacking it and attempting to board it. U.S. Navy helicopters responding to the ship's distress calls then came under fire from the small boats while attempting to verbally engage with them, 
according to CENTCOM. Quote, the U.S. Navy helicopters returned fire in self-defense, sinking three of the four small boats and killing the crews. The fourth boat fled the area, a statement from CENTCOM read. The helicopters were dispatched from the USS Eisenhower and the USS Gravely, and they did not sustain damage. And then, hours prior to that, there was actually a ballistic missile fired in the Red Sea toward probably that same ship, and the USS Gravely did shoot down that ballistic missile as well. And uh, actually, there was a second one, so it shot down two anti-ship ballistic missiles that were fired from the Houthi-controlled area, so... We've been covering this for several weeks. I said last week that uh, I think the Houthis are probably, you know, increasingly getting set up for a uh, a bit of a response. I did see a little bit on social media that maybe the United Kingdom is beginning to more publicly talk about some type of a, I guess, attack, counterattack, some type of air attack, or some just some type of military you know, retaliation to these increasing attacks from the Houthis. So we'll see if that happens. It hasn't happened yet from anything I've seen, but again, the Houthis every single week seem to get a little closer to making that happen. Now, along that same line of thinking, there was a, a an article in the Washington Post that I wanted to just read a few paragraphs from they did a great, it's a very in-depth piece, and I've got the gift link in the Substack notes, so you can go read the whole thing for free. And the headline was, Iran showcases its reach with militia attacks across Middle East. And I thought I would read these first just few paragraphs, because so many people know of these various groups, but they forget to tie the link back to Iran who is funding and organizing and training these groups. So let me just read just a, just a few sentences or so from this graph. And again, you can read the entire article for free by going to the Substack link. Quote, The Gaza war has given Iran the opportunity to showcase the capacity of its newly restructured network of allied militias, demonstrating Iran's strategic reach while allowing it to keep a distance from the fight, according to members of the groups and military analysts. On any given day since the October 7th Hamas assault on Israel, one or other of these militias has carried out an attack somewhere in the Middle East, and on some days, several in different places. The Houthis in Yemen are targeting ships in the Red Sea, which obviously we just covered. That seems to happen about every other day. Uh, and as I said in a previous two weeks ago, the U.S. has is creating a alliance of Western nations to, primarily Western nations, to create kind of a sea zone using, you know, uh, combining their out their ships in an allied effort, so to speak, to protect this very large area. It's the size of California, this Red Sea. is much bigger than most people think. But back to the story. So the Houthis in Yemen are targeting ships in the Red Sea. Qatab, Hezbollah, and other Iraqi groups are hitting U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. And Lebanon's Hezbollah is engaged in daily exchanges of fire with Israeli forces across the Israel-Lebanon border. The attacks can seem random 
but they are the fruit of a carefully calibrated strategy forged in the wake of the 2020 killing of Soleimani, leader of Iraq's, Iran's elite Quds force, to bring cohesion to the loosely formed alliance of militias, designated by Iran as, quote, the axis of resistance. So again, it's a great piece. Got a gift link in the Substack notes. And as I always say, it's probably worth subscribing to the Washington Post. You can usually do so for like $7.99 a month for the e-edition. So I did want to cover that as well. And like I said, check out that link if you have a few minutes. It's worth your time and probably going to get more from it than just scrolling TikTok for another couple of minutes, right? Okay, so let's move from the Middle East and from Iran to Ukraine and the war against Russia, although I hate to say it that way. Every now and then a reader will reach out and say it's not Ukraine and Russia at war. Like, Russia attacked Ukraine. Russia invaded. So it's Ukraine defending itself. So I'm sorry I said that wrong. But back in back to the point, in Ukraine news, there's about three stories I want to cover, and one of them I want to cover really in depth. Now, one of the bigger news that's kind of fresher or hotter off the press, so to speak, is that Russia and Ukraine had a huge... POW exchange that happened actually just about the time that I'm recording. It happened on Wednesday. Uh, Both sides hadn't exchanged prisoners for nearly five months, but more than 200 were freed in what Russia said was a complex negotiation involving mediation by the United, United Arab Emirates. So big news for really both sides. I mean, war is atrocious for either side. No one really wins in war, Um, but it's great that both sides are getting a couple hundred people that can get back to their families, and so that's good news for sure. And then we're going to go in depth a bit about this next topic, because the bigger news since last week, although it's a little dated, but since the last podcast, the what was long expected massive missile attacks from Russia against Ukraine as winter has arrived those finally happened. And so I want to I cover a couple of things actually involving those because this is going to be a big part of the story during the winter is how effective these attacks will be, how will Ukraine counter them, how prepared is Ukraine for these. And so let's get into the weeds just a bit because any of us can get on the news and you can read that, you know, 30 missiles were fired or this or that and 20 Ukrainian people were wounded and five dead, or it just, it feels like those stories happen all the time. But I wanted to get into the weeds just a bit to, for, I feel like my audience is just a little bit more sophisticated and interested in that stuff. And so I wanted to get in the weeds just a bit about how successful were these attacks. And so I'm going to share two things that I saw out there that was really, really good. Let me get to that first one here. Now, this first piece comes from a guy named Chris Schmitz. Let me just read what he said, and I've got this in the Substack notes, a link to it as well if you want to read it. I want to hit some of the highlights. This was shared on Twitter. Chris Chris writes after the first of the major attacks, Today's attack on Russia, today's attack of Russia on Ukraine was the biggest military failure of Russia in a long time. So again, he's saying it's the biggest failure. And I want to get that across because the next thing I'm going to cover is very much going to be in aligned with this. So let me just 
continue reading. So the Russia had been planning this attack for months. Many analysts had been waiting for it. It happens. So here's what Chris says. The strategic balance has shifted after tonight. Allow me to explain how Russia lost tonight's, quote, billion-dollar brawl, end quote, in a catastrophic manner. This attack involved a very substantial amount of weapons fired in a time-and-space-coordinated fashion on select targets. The idea behind such an attack against air defense is to overwhelm the defending side with force in a so-called saturation attack. Any missile system only has a limited amount of ready time to fire missiles before it needs to reload. The well-known Patriot system has four missiles per launcher truck. And then he goes into some of the details about the type of missiles or there's 16 of them if they're the Pack 3 And we're not going to get to quite that level. But he talks about how long it takes for these to reload. He shares photos. And he talks about that there are reserve missiles in storage containers, but they do take time to reload with the new boxes of missiles. And so he says, so what, after describing that and what the Russians would have known, because the Patriot system is not a new system. The U.S. has been using it since the 1990s. So Russia knew what Ukraine had. They kind of had probed it. They had this massively planned attack. And so Chris says, so why did the strategic balance shift today? Russia has saved up cruise missiles and other missile asset, assets excuse me, for quite some time to plan and execute this attack on critical civilian infrastructure of Ukraine. They have used their intelligence assets to try to understand how the air defense of Ukraine is structured. They have employed, and he goes into details a bit, some of the anti-radiation missiles and other electronic warfare And these are ways that Russia tries to make the Ukrainian air defenses ineffective. So I'm going to skip that a a bit. But he says, quote, this was not nothing. This was likely the best game plan they they could execute with the assets available. Despite these efforts, they were only able to hit with less than 5% of the ordnance employed. That's a failure of Russian strategic aviation and signals that Russia, despite gains on the ground, will no longer be able to massively attack Ukrainian critical infrastructure. This would have been unthinkable a year ago. This is a huge triumph for Ukraine as well as the countries supporting it. So that's the first article, and that's kind of a higher level piece. But then I want to share one more thing on the same topic. Okay, so this next one that I want to share is great because not only is it going to weeds into the weeds a bit in that first opening part of it, but more importantly, it does a great, almost deep dive, although in a very tight, compressed amount of space, reminding people on how strategic bombing campaigns have worked in the past, World War II, etc. And so I want to cover it. If you'll be patient with me, I think you'll actually get something from this. This was definitely one of the better things I read since last week. Now, the author is anonymous. He posts on Telegram at Military Strategy Analysis is the name of the place. I actually learned of him through another analyst that I follow who has followed this guy or gal's work. I assume guy, but I'm not sure. Uh, he's been tracking this person for a year. And so he finds him credible and insightful. I reached out to this analyst I follow. I trust the analyst. But 
I think when you when you hear what I'm about to share, you'll be just as impressed and convinced as I was. So let me just read this. Again, if you'll be patient, I think you will get something from this. All right, here we go. The long-awaited missile strike campaign began in earnest this week with a level of planning far in advance of last winter's, which, as a reminder, if you're newer to the show, Russia's plan last year was to crush the Ukrainian electrical grid and to basically bomb the civilian population into a submissive state. They wanted to break the will of the Ukrainian people. That was Russia's goal. They've been saving up missiles since last year for the same attempt this year, although any analyst will tell you that Ukraine's uh, anti-air defenses are much more prepared. But both sides have been waiting to see how this would play out. It's starting to play out, and so far it's going well for Ukraine. So back to this article. Multiple test runs of single missiles and drone combinations have tried out new methods and routing, and low-volume ballistic missile strikes had been used to see how effective defenses were and how fast they could react. Again, reiterating what the last analyst said. The strike two days ago was a whole new level, not just in quantity, but also in methodology. The strike was carefully timed, timed, ensuring the maximum number of missiles and drones of different types arrived in the defense zones simultaneously. This this ensured that the defenses would inevitably shoot down a good number, but reload times would ensure more missiles got through. By using, and then he goes into Iskander ballistic missiles with their trajectory, and then he names another type, which are Kinzhal, which are basically air-launched Iskander ballistic missiles. But he says they offered up targets, different types of targets to attract Patriot anti-air missiles. Thus, if the Ukrainians are shooting down those, then they're not shooting down cruise missiles. Now, cruise missiles come in at a lower altitude. The analyst goes on. Several cruise missiles were assigned to the role of deception. These ran a route into the defense zone while then flying in circles to confuse reporting from the ground and make it difficult for the missile batteries to prioritize their targeting, meaning which ones are decoys, which one are actually ballistic missiles that have targets, as well as cruise missiles that have targets. So you don't want to be wasting your time shooting down decoys, obviously. Okay, so he goes on. Missiles ran long deception paths, rarely flying directly to a target, but taking evasive routing and making frequent course corrections. I probably don't need to say this, but I will say each radar, each Patriot missile will cover a certain distance, and these are circles. The enemy eventually figures out where these circles are, and so you can route missiles to avoid those circles. So that's what he's making, but... Just in case you're a newer listener and you're not aware of some of the military strategy involved. All right, let me continue. Unsurprisingly, with 158 missiles involved, a larger percentage got through. But even so, the defense system still did a remarkable job of taking down around 78%. Not only that, but the effort required to field that many weapons and launch them took a huge effort on Russian resources and equipment, and it won't always be possible to fire so many. 
Either way, we have to accept the Russians made a very big effort, and they've clearly learned from the past that scale matters, or volume, scale slash volume matters to overcome Ukraine's air defenses. They also know that the supply of missiles for those defenses are now limited without more U.S. aid, though exact numbers have never been disclosed. The most depressing part of the strikes, however, was the targeting. Russia hasn't seemingly changed this at all. There are no, quote, legitimate military targets, but a maternity hospital, infrastructure that supports civil life or civilian life, and apartment blocks and shopping centers. The usual Syria-type attacks on daily life to undermine civilians and their resistance. He's referring there to Russia and some of its bombing campaigns in Syria when they were supporting the uh, dictator in Syria, uh, Bashar al-Assad, I believe his name is. Okay, it's Bashar al-Assad. I looked it up because I was all tongue-tied on it. Now let me continue that. Russians aim to convince Ukraine that it is not culturally or racially different, that Ukraine doesn't have a right to be a nation, and that Ukraine's existence as one independent country is somehow illegitimate. Russia thinks by doing this, it will force an acceptance that the war is futile and not worth fighting. And this is where we get into some of the strategic stuff and some of the history. And the history of strategic bombing campaigns, there has never been real success. Germany failed against Britain in 1940 to 1944. Allied bombing failed against Germany in 1942 to 1945. Allied bombing caused massive destruction on a scale never seen. Excuse me. Yet it didn't actually cut German weapon production, which peaked in mid-1944. The bombing of Japan didn't make it surrender or end the war any faster. It was the atomic bomb, used twice, that did that, which promised utter annihilation for other cities. American strategic bombing of Vietnam and Cambodia didn't win the war against Vietnamese unification. Why does Russia think this is going to work? Every hit is bad news and a tragedy for someone, but it would take millions of missiles to even reach what happened to Germany or Japan in World War II, and Ukraine was the battlefield for much of that war, and yet still they are here. They are fighting, and their spirits and identity haven't been broken. They've been amplified. That's good, isn't it? They've been amplified. All right, continuing. As usual, Russia has made the assumptions it made about Grozny and the Chechens that if they destroy it all, they will win. Yet it's only money that keeps even Chechnya tied to Russia. Its loyalty is bought Similarly, Syria is a wasteland of destruction that Russia helped facilitate. The regime barely has any control, even if the fighting has stopped. And he is referring to the Syrian regime, which barely even controls, you know, half of the country. What did Russia... I'm sorry. Even if the fighting has stopped, Iran was the only winner there. Turkish forces sit quietly, waiting for any opportunity to intervene if Syria's government moves against its proxies. What did Russia achieve? 
nothing for Syria. It kept its air and naval base. But Syria had to be destroyed for that. Yet its people are still there and they know who is responsible. One day they will come for your bases in Syria, Mr. Putin. And then he continues, Russian tactics with these missile strikes are interesting and developing from the point of view of a puzzle that must be solved to prevent death and destruction. Russian strategy over these attacks is, however, as bankrupt and poorly educated as your average Russian soldier from a working class community. It's about as sophisticated as a toddler throwing peas in a tantrum, and it won't work. Even if there were no defensive missiles left, it still won't work. Ukraine will do what it has always done through its history. It will find a way to survive and thrive. Ukraine will win. So there you go. I hope you got as much from that as I did. Great little historical reminder of many of the most recent wars going back to the 1940s. And just a reminder that Ukraine lost unbelievable amounts of people during World War II during some of the starvation and some of the fighting. Ukraine has a very long history of just proud and strong people and identity. And we've been seeing it for almost two years now. But I thought his uh, writing on that was really good and, and worth sharing. So let's move from that to one other piece on Ukraine that I wanted to share. Let me get that article pulled up for you guys. Now on this final article from or involving Ukraine, I wanted to share some news that came out regarding the fight that's happening behind the lines. That that fight that's increasingly happening all the way inside Russia. In some cases, uh, hundreds of miles behind the lines. In fact, the first one involves something that was 3,000 miles behind the front lines. Now, a little background on this article, just because i got to give someone a shout-out real quick, which is the train attack I'm about to read about for just a moment. I saw this on social media weeks and weeks ago, but there were video of it. It was on Twitter. It was on other places, but I couldn't find confirmation. And, of course, it's very hard to get good reporting out of Russia because we're talking about Russia. We're talking about a place that... They lie about things. You'll see massive attacks on a ship, and they'll say, hey, we lost two people. The ship is fine. And then a few days later, you may find out it sank. You know, they they use false statements and lies about everything. So I'd seen these videos of some of these explosions that I'm about to talk about, but I hadn't, I couldn't find any serious mainstream reporting on it to confirm it. And so I just didn't want to share, you know, some videos and say, hey, this happened in Russia and not a lot you're going to find in the media about it. I try to limit sharing that type of stuff. But it has finally made the news. This actually came from the New York Times. I want to give a huge shout out shout out to David, who I'm sure, David in Texas, who I'm sure is probably listening uh, he sent the link to me. It's a gift link from the New York Times, so I'm sharing it in the Substack notes, which all of you guys are welcome to uh, read the entire article. The entire article is a lot about sabotage. But I want to share just the first few graphs. I want to thank David again for sending me that link. I can only cover so many things, and it's great when I actually hadn't seen this article. And so it's great when someone who's 
a big fan or follower of the show or supporter or ever how you want to describe um, some of these folks who email me, send something and say, hey, did you see this? And a lot of times I've seen it, but I don't see everything. So I hadn't seen this. So thanks again, David. I really appreciate that. And I hope you're doing well. Now, let me read this article, first few paragraphs from the New York Times, because this is something that I think as we talk about 2024 and the fighting that may or may not happen in Ukraine or how much or how bad it'll be, increasingly some of the fighting is happening in other places. The war is, I don't want to say expanding, but the the boundaries of it are to some degree because obviously it's a meat grinder on some of the front lines and the tactics are almost like updated World War One tactics, including drones now, but it's very vicious fighting and, and ground is gained by yards in most cases. So, what is Ukraine doing? I'll show you what Ukraine's doing. So the headline for the New York Times article was Ukraine stalled on the front, steps up sabotage, targeting trains. Alright, so the article begins... The saboteurs managed to place four explosives on a Russian freight train carrying diesel and jet fuel, jet fuel roughly 3,000 miles from the Ukrainian border. But more important than the destruction of the train, Ukrainian intelligence officials said, was the timing of the blast. They needed it to blow up as the 50 rail cars were traveling through the nine-mile-long tunnel through the Severomusky Mountains, the longest train tunnel in Russia. Again, just in case my struggling southern accent didn't get across the point I was trying to make, the tunnel is nine miles long. Nine miles I mean, I can can barely run nine miles. That's how long the train tunnel inside a mountain is. The Ukrainians wanted to blow up a train there. So let me read some more. The Ukrainians were hoping to compromise a vital conduit for weapons being shipped to Russia from North Korea at a moment when Ukrainian forces on the front are struggling to stave off relentless Russian assaults. Trains can be replaced and tracks quickly repaired, but serious damage to this tunnel, which took decades to build, might not be so easy to fix. So I'm not going to read more of the article. You can find out more about that attack from that free GIF link. Uh, It's a great article. But one of the key points about that article and you only got to look outside your window to the nearest train track, is that Russia is increasingly concerned as there's been more and more of these targeted train attacks, which initially just were happening in just regular, you know, rail lines through pastures or woods. Trains would get derailed. Those are very quickly fixed, very quickly, usually cleaned up. And so they're getting more sophisticated. But the bigger, broader picture is that Russia realizes that for Russia, they don't have the airlift capacity that the U.S. has. Almost all of their uh, logistics, their muscle, so to speak, of tanks, of trucks, of troops, ammo, fuel, it all travels by train. 
And we're talking thousands of miles of unguarded rail lines that Russia's increasingly worried that Ukraine might target. And so that's what the article goes into, you know, quite a bit of detail on. So it's a great article to read if you have a couple minutes, something you can read over your coffee. Or if you don't have time today, when you're watching this on Thursday, read it on Friday or the weekend. It's a great article. I think you'll get something out of it. And thanks again, David, for uh, sharing that link. I really appreciate that. Okay, so we have one more news segment. We're going to talk about China for just a bit. Actually, very briefly. Mention one thing about China, I guess is a more accurate way to say it. And then we will get into the motivation and wisdom section. But I did want to say, just a quick reminder, if you are enjoying the show, want to support what we're doing here, you can sign up on my Substack page to help support the show, or you can do so through Patreon uh, for $5 per month. You can help me grow this into something maybe even bigger. So I do have some pretty big dreams for the platform, including increased frequency, but I would need some help justifying that time, uh, kind of time commitment, since obviously... Just like you, dear listener, I work a full-time job besides this. So, no pressure though. If you do sign up, you can come and go as you please. Details for signing up can be found on the Substack page, also in this episode notes. So, I really appreciate your support. Thanks in advance if you're thinking about signing up. If you're not signed up for free, you can do that as well. We actually got three new uh, subscribers the past week, three free ones, so... Uh, appreciate you guys who signed up. I hope you're enjoying the show. Maybe the first one delivered to your email. So thanks for joining us. All right, so let's get to that um, next bit of news. I said we're going to talk about China. So Taiwan is reporting, and this came out on Wednesday, late Wednesday. So I didn't see many stories on it yet. It will probably be bigger news by the time you guys are hearing this. But Taiwan is reporting that China sent four suspected spy balloons over their island. Now, as a reminder, Taiwan is to the south of China. It's a... Oh, this gets complicated. But it's basically an independent country that China claims. Now, there's been lots of friction there. Let me just read just a bit from this article from the Associated Press that I saw. Taiwan's defense ministry said that China sent four balloons over the island, three of which passed near a key Air Force base. The reported incursions on Tuesday came as China has been upping its threat to use force to annex the self-governing republic. Now again, um, the article was written on Wednesday, but it happened Tuesday, and obviously there's a massive time lag since they're, what, like 12 hours ahead of us or behind us? But anyway, any rate, um, the article goes on to remind, and I haven't really gotten into the weeds about the elections in Taiwan. I've read a lot up and down about it, and they've kind of been shifting on what may or may not happen. But let's be real. Americans are barely informed on our own elections, and so I've mostly held off covering Taiwan's elections. But let me read one paragraph here. Taiwan is holding elections for its president and legislature on January 13th, and China has used its military, diplomatic, and economic power to influence voters to back candidates favoring unification between the sides, or between China and Taiwan. 
Despite that, the pro-independence Democratic Progressive Party is leading in most polls, reaffirming the electorate's backing for the status of de facto independence from mainland China. So there you go. There's the AP article. I've got a link in the Substack notes if you want to click that and read a little bit more or get into some of the weeds about the upcoming election, which is what, um, about 10 days away or nine when you're listening to this. So, all right, so let's move from there to the motivation and wisdom section. Okay, so this is the motivation and wisdom section. I share these each week because I think all of us could use a few words of encouragement. And let's be honest here, you matter. And you are influencing the people around you, all of whom could benefit from even a small amount of increased volume or awesomeness. Your kids, your spouse, your friends, your co-workers, I'm challenging you to infect these people with a little more energy, a little more life, a little more light, a little more love. You can do that. I know you can. And I hope at least one of the following um, pieces of wisdom that I'm going to share helps you. So let's try to get a little bit more on fire, shall we not? All right, here is the first one. Mastery begins with beginnership. Again, mastery begins with beginnership. This next one is a great one. Life has two rules. One, never quit. Two, always remember rule one. It's <laughs> pretty good. Life has two rules. Never quit and always remember rule number one. All right, here is the next one. Train your mind to be stronger than your feelings. Again, train your mind to be stronger than your feelings. All right, here's the next one. Freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been effort stored up in the past. It's a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. And I think it's hard to understand it at first, but it's like if you know someone who's got a ton of money and it doesn't look like they're working hard or they're not trying hard, you're not seeing where they started. So again, it's freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been effort stored up in the past. All right, here is the next one. Don't rush the process. Good things take time. We always get in such a hurry, right? We live in this as I've heard said, like we live in this microwave society where we have apps and microwaves and we just want everything done fast and the good things take time. It's like we, you know, it's the crock pot. You need to take your time. All right, here's the next one. Don't waste your life trying to impress other people. Do what you love. Love what you do. All right, let's share a few from the Bible. First one is from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this next one's from Psalms chapter 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye, 
Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Just a quick reminder. It's very easy to read a chapter from Psalms and Proverbs every day. And every time I do, I get something from it. Those are easily accessible books. Now the next one's from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Who isn't carrying heavy burdens, right? Don't we all? It's probably not the worst verse to think about. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. All right, and the final one is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. It's another good one. All right, so let's move to the one I always like to end with. If I can get it pulled up here. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I mean, that is the goal, right? So regardless of your faith, be a decent human being. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So thanks for joining us on this episode. I hope that you are proud of our great country. I know it's not perfect. But I still am, and I hope you are too. And as you go through this week, remember that it's easy to be divisive, to argue with people about politics, especially on social media. Anyone can do that. But I want to challenge you to be a unifier. I want to challenge you to show love. If someone says something political that offends you, just let it go. You're not going to change someone's mind. Instead, show them love. Ask them how their family is doing if you know them well enough. Ask them if there's anything you can do for them. You can even say, I love you, brother, and we may not agree, but is there anything I can do for you? Only love is going to lead to some form of unity in this country, and only kindness is going to put out the fire of hatred. So be like a wet blanket. When the fire from them is raging hot, you wrap it up, help put it out. Help lower their temperature. Show them that someone from the other side isn't some horrific person that wants to end their way of life. That's all they get on told on TV and radio every day. So don't be like what the bad folks say to them that you're like. Show them that most Americans are good and that we can come together as a country. That we have more in common than we have as differences. Now, I have to finish with two things. I want to do a quick reminder about my books, and then I want to say some words for those struggling with PTSD or some mental illness. I try to do this every show. It's very important to me. Or for those who are just down right now, who are just in the ditch. So first, the marketing piece. As I said earlier in the show, I've written 12 books. They include military thrillers, a detective series or whodunit, a war literature, a Western, even motivational self-help book. As I said, I've sold 70,000 copies. They're independently published, so there's no book publisher pushing these books. So I'm very thankful that it's all been word of mouth and that so many of you have helped push those. Again, you can find all of those on Amazon at just by searching Stan or Mitchell. You can find links through the source notes as well. 
now we get to something that's very, you know, deeply important to me, which is PTSD or suicide. As I say every week, veterans are 57% higher risk of suicide than the peers of the same age who haven't served. But I know this isn't just for veterans. We all can get in some really, really low spots in our life. It's important to remember that it's a season. It's a valley. If you are having serious issues, you can call 988 and select 1. 988, select 1. You can do that 24-7. Reach a veteran uh, crisis line to respond anytime, day or night. You can also text 838-255. 838255. If you're having serious problems, do that. But also know you probably won't do that. It's hard to reach out for help. So I have to, frankly, kind of kick your butt for a second. I have to say that you cannot give up. That I know you're tougher than this. That you've been in more trying circumstances. But you cannot lose this fight. And I know it's kind of mean to say but do not make your parents or your family have to plan your funeral. Don't. Just like, don't. Think about more than yourself for a second. Do not make them feel guilty that they did not check on you, that they could not reach you. Do not do the same thing to your friends who you served with if you're in the military. If you have family, do not leave your wife or kids here without you. You can hold on for another day. And if you do, I promise the next day will be a little easier. If you are in a fight that you worry you may lose, you do what you would do in combat. You call for reinforcements. You call for help. But don't you dare surrender. Don't you dare give up. Call for help, just like in war. Call for reinforcements. Call a friend, a family member. Call 988, select one. But whatever you do, do not let the devil convince you that you will not be missed, that no one cares, that no one can understand what you are going through. If you don't already have some kind of faith that you can lean on, then cry out to God. He can literally drive out the devil. He really wants you to reach out to him. You just need to reach out and ask for help. If you have some other faith, lean on it. But if you don't, I'm telling you, God cares about you more than you possibly can know and you can reach him at any time. You can say a prayer right now. You can look up Bible apps on your phone. You can look for the Bible online. You can begin a path of healing. So want to make sure I get that out. I know when you get out of the military, some of the very best soldiers and Marines succumb to, to suicide. Part of it is you don't have structure around you. You don't have some sergeant yelling at you, telling you what to do yelling at you not to quit, saying, keep going, you can do this. So if I need to be that guy, I'll do it. So don't you freaking quit. Don't. And don't do this to your family or your friends. You have a family waiting on you. Even if it's a future one, you have a future. You have a future family waiting on you, a spouse, kids. I know it's hard to connect. There's some woman out there who's wanting a dude just like you who's strong, who believes in self-sacrifice, who has the strength that so many, let's be honest, men don't have these days. On the flip side, if you're a female vet, there's some dude who wants an amazing, strong woman just like you. They want a woman who does CrossFit or shoots or hunts or whatever it is you do that you think most dudes don't like. That person is out there. 
And not to throw too much guilt, but I am going to throw guilt at you. Because you're thinking short-term and you're thinking wrong. You are. And let's be a little bit more brutal because I'm not going to let you lose this fight. But I want you to think about this. Who's going to take care of your parents in 30 years? And I'm serious right now. I just helped take care of my mom before she passed. I'm helping take care of my dad. Who's going to do it? Are you just going to let the system take care of them? How horrible is that? So I'm telling you, don't you dare quit. Don't you dare make the mistake. There's something you're meant to do. You just can't navigate through this like immediate fog and pain and you're thinking way too short term. You can't see the end result. You're in the fog of war, but you don't quit when you're in battle. And don't you dare quit now that you're back home. The fight isn't over. There's a mission for you to do. Maybe it's to help the poor, those who are worse off than you. Maybe it's to help others with PTSD. Maybe it's to help unite the country. Maybe it's to run for government to help us tackle our humongous debt load. Maybe it's to inspire some kid out there. Maybe it's to coach Little League or help out on the football team. You've got to get involved. You've got to stop isolating yourself. But most importantly, you cannot give up. Be a warrior and do not let the enemy win. Finally, if you're doing fine right now, I want to challenge you to reach out to someone who's hurting, some friend who you haven't talked with, especially if it's a military vet out there you haven't talked to in a while. There's a good chance they're hurting, even if they say they're good. Now, I always like to mention part of the Bible from Ecclesiastes, which reads, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Just as the verse says, we all serve as the hands of God. So if you're doing well, reach out, check on a person who may not be. If you're struggling, I beg of you, call the Veterans Crisis Line. You can do it anytime, day or night. 988, select one, or fall to your knees, beg God to help you to drive the thoughts out of your head. He can do it. I promise you, he will do it. always like to end the show by reminding people you can comment anytime. I try to monitor those. You can also reach out privately at authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. Again, that is authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. You can say hello. You can vent. You can send news tips. I love all of those things. I love you all, but never forget that God loves you more. I'll catch you next week. You have been listening to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and I am out.